Hello and welcome to Actuarial People with myself, James Turner. I'm excited to be launching a brand new podcast where each week I'll be speaking with the UK actuary. My aim is to give you, the listener, greater insight into the people behind the profession and their personal career journeys. So we'll cover things like why and how they became an actuary, what they do on a day-to-day basis, how they balance work and study with life, any specialisms they've developed, and how their role has evolved over time. So whether you're an actuary yourself, or you're aspiring to become one in the future, welcome and enjoy. Welcome to Actuarial People, Tasneem Rahman. Hi James, thank you so much for having me. Hi, how are you today? Yeah, good, thanks. It's very hot, so I'm just trying to stay as cool as I can. Got all the windows open, had the fan going, but yeah, turned that off for this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if there are any traffic noises, then we're forgiven today because it's impossible to keep the windows closed. But, yeah. um, thank you so much for, for, for joining me. It's a, it's a pleasure to, to have some time with you. So before we kick off, I, I wondered if you can just start by giving uh, the listeners a, a, a brief summary of where you are today, who you are, what you do, um, and then we'll, we'll take it from there. Yeah, sounds good. So I'm Tasneem. Um, most people call me Taz. Feel free to call me whatever suits. Um, and I work in a risk transfer team. So I'm a risk transfer consultant. And I've just recently joined that team in January. But prior to that, I was just doing traditional pensions actuarial work for five years. Um, so I've been in the pensions industry for about six years now. Fantastic. So I'm sure we'll come on, on to um, all of that in more detail, but I'd like to start at the beginning, if I may. And my first question is, if you cast your mind back, where were you or, or can you remember when you first found out that actuaries existed? Yeah, I can actually. So I ended up studying maths at university more just because it was something I really enjoyed when I was doing my GCSEs and A-levels. It was something I was kind of naturally better at than other subjects. So I ended up picking um, maths for to study at university. And actually, funnily enough, after saying that, there wasn't much of my degree that I genuinely enjoyed. It was a lot more theory based, things that just didn't make any sense to me um, and a lot of proofs. But there was one module in my final year of university called uh, Stochastic processes and that was the only module throughout my entire degree that I genuinely genuinely found fascinated I was interested and the real like nerdy side of me came out when I was like standing in queues and shop and thinking about something that we studied called Q theory and how that all sorts of how that all works so I actually ended up messaging um, my module leader and saying look I've really enjoyed this and um, obviously I'm about to graduate are there any sort of jobs that kind of you know that are related to this so he sent me a list of lots of different jobs and one of them was an actuary I had briefly heard about an actuary a while before that but mainly because I don't know of like some loose connection that was also an actuary but I didn't really pay much attention to it but I read the word and I was like oh I've heard this word like once before so the googling began and I started like researching all the different things and on paper it just sounded ideal it sounded exactly what I wanted it to be it was where you basically translate really complex ideas in a really simple way Um, and that was something I really enjoyed and I had done lots of tutoring in the past as well Um, so I felt like that was quite like a natural thing for me so yeah and then I decided not to apply for any jobs because I wasn't entirely sure of the grade I would get with my degree um, and understood that you know and times have changed now so you don't definitely need to have a, a minimum of a 2-1 but when I was applying a minimum of 2-1 was a requirement so I was like okay I'll wait to see what I get before I crush all my 
hopes and dreams <laughs> and then yeah and then managed to graduate um and then just started applying so I graduated in the summer of 2017 so I was applying then for graduate intakes of summer uh, September 18 sorry um and then that's basically how it all kind of started yeah and did you did you choose pensions did pensions choose you Oh, that's a good question. So it was, it was kind of a mix of both. So when I was doing my research, I kind of understood, well, if you want to be an actuary, typically you work either in insurance or the pensions industry. Um, And I'm sure as every other 16, 17, 18 year old will think pensions doesn't quite give you the same amount of excitement when you first hear the word pensions. Um, Safe to say, though, a couple of years later, it is actually a really fascinating industry. And there's so much to learn and so much happens. And you don't really realize it that there is so much involved within the pensions world. Um, But the reason I ended up picking pensions is I understood from my research a bit more. And James, with your role, you'll have a better grasp of this. But if you want to do a lot of consulting, then pensions is kind of the area to go into. And that was the thing. I'm sure you'll be able to tell over the course of this podcast. I'm a talker, chatterbox, have been ever since the day (laughs) I was born. Um, so yeah, so I feel like that's basically how I ended up in pensions because I really didn't want to lose the consulting side of things and I wanted to be in front of people. I'm a real people person. So it was important for me to be able to have a role where I'd be able to come across lots of different people. Yeah. And you've, you've always had that aspect to you. I think when you were at, uh, at uni, you were a student ambassador, um, which must've involved doing lots of extracurricular yes. things. How, how was that? Yeah, exactly. So that's where I think it all kind of came from is, um, at university, I had plenty of jobs. Um, most of the time, I had two jobs alongside studying. Um, so that was good. It actually set me up, I think, quite well for the working world, especially the actuarial world, where you're doing so many exams as, alongside studying. So I thought, well, if I can juggle two part-time jobs and try and do a maths degree at the same time, I'll be fine. And lo and behold, it is very different. Okay. I would definitely <laughs> say it's a very different kind of study work life balance when you're trying to do actuarial exams, which are incredibly hard. Um, so yeah, so that's definitely different, but that really set me up. And I think my role as a student ambassador, um, and then I had been promoted to a senior student ambassador, which often meant I went around lots of careers fairs. I was doing presentations to four or 500 people in lecture theatres on a continuous wow. basis. So it really did set me up really well for the consulting world, I feel. Um, and it w- it just kind of made me realise I like to talk. <laughs> I like presentations. I don't enjoy I, I don't enjoy just sitting down and being behind a screen. So um, that is definitely the reason that I was like, no, I think I need to pick a role within the actuarial field that will kind of give me that as well. Did that just come naturally to you, standing in front of 500 people? How, how was it the first couple of times? Um, it's, it is nerve wracking at the start. And even with most things, even the other day, I was doing a presentation at work, um, for a client, we were doing like an initial workshop and yeah, even then you just like, before it was my turn, like I just get nervous. But then afterwards, when I start speaking, like I calm down a bit and it's fine. And I think that's pretty normal. I'm sure if you listen to any podcast where there's um, singers or presenters or actors, they always say the same thing as well. And I'm always surprised that, you know, really famous singers, Adele especially, she always talks about how nervous she gets before she gets on stage. Um, And I think that's just, yeah. So I feel like it's something that's quite natural in some ways because I like to talk. And I feel like once I know what I'm talking about, it's fine. I'm very comfortable um but yeah the nerves are always always there (laughs) 
Fair enough. So if you think back to your sort of first year or so uh, in the job, so you've you've identified you want to be a consultant, mm-hmm. you love uh, being around people, speaking with people. How did the reality of the job, particularly in the first year, where I imagine the technical content is is fairly high as well, what was the balance like between the consulting bit and the technical bit when you first started? Yeah, um, that's a really good question. And actually, I think I'm quite a rogue case of definitely a unique one because I mentioned that I'd graduated in the summer of 2017. I was applying for September 2018 intakes. But every single application I had written that actually I was free and able to start whenever at the time I was just working in my local ASDA so I was happy to kind of leave that and jump into the career world a bit more and like kickstart my career so um, because I had written that I had an interview for my first company um, in I actually looked this up I had an interview on the 1st of December of 2017 um, and then basically a week later they rang me and they were like oh so we really really liked you and like we note that on your application you've written that you can start like as soon as so do you just want to come in as soon as you know in the new year so I basically started in the second week in January and that was the first time the company had ever hired anyone as a graduate but kind of off cycle we call it Um, And that was definitely the steepest learning curve I think I have ever had within the working world as of yet. Um, It was more because you're on your own. So it was just you, I was going to ask. It was just you, was it? It was just me. It was literally just me. And they haven't done that before. So everyone assumed, you know, when people start mid-year, it's normally experience hires. So I would go and sit next to someone's desk and they would be trying to explain work to me. And there's all this jargon being thrown around and that's really typical of the pensions industry especially there's a lot of jargon in it um which is really which is a shame when you're starting because it really does make it difficult and I'd wait for them to explain a bit and then when there was a gap in the conversation I'd be like oh by the way like I I haven't done any of this before I'm I'm new I have like no idea what you're talking about and everyone's like oh my gosh I'm so sorry we didn't realize this and the way a lot of actuarial training programs kind of work is there's a lot of intensive training at the start so the September graduates that had joined in 2017 they already had three months of continuous training so you at the company I used to work for there was two weeks of intensive training where you get an idea about everything that happens within the business and then after that every single Friday the whole entire day is technical training so I had missed out on basically 12 full days of technical training plus the two extra weeks of training um, at the start so my training when I joined was all essentially one-on-one training but it was people going through the same slides but being like oh you don't need to worry about this you don't need to worry about it It was a very whistle-stop tour so the training sessions that were like maybe three hours I was given them in like half an hour type thing okay so it's more tailored to what you were actually doing Yes, exactly, exactly. Um, And there's so many exercising in the training sessions that they'd be like, oh, don't worry about it. You don't need to do the exercise. And at the time I was like, great, no work, love it. Um, But yeah, later on, I kind of realized like, oh, I kind of wish I had done those exercises because I feel like it really solidifies what you're understanding. So I'd say my first year was quite difficult in that sense because there was a lot of things that at the start, especially, I really struggled with it. I really struggled with not understanding what was going on and the September graduates that had just joined um just before me I would you know go for a coffee with them and they too would start using all this jargon and I'm like I have no idea what you're talking about and they'd be like 
oh, don't worry, you'll understand at some point. And at that time I was like, no, I want you to tell me you don't get it too. Like, <laughs> I want you to be in the same boat as me. So it was quite difficult being the only one in that boat for sure. But I think it set me up well. I can, safe to say, I think I know a, most of the jargon that goes about in the pensions world now and can do that sort of stuff. But the flip side, I guess, to that was, well, not really a flip side. I think it's just an, another addition of kind of joining off-cycle ad hoc on your own was basically the way a lot of things work in these companies is that just before the graduates join, everyone has a review of all the different client lists, all the different clients that are on there and create a client list for the graduates that are joining. But because I was joining ad hoc, I just kind of got the clients that were like really, really, really small. So it didn't really do a lot of the things that you would do in, in a typical pension scheme so um, they would have their normal valuations but they happen every three years so, um, so when I joined none of them were going through evaluation and um, there's other things like factor reviews and loads of other typical tasks that I didn't get exposure to in my first year purely because the client list I had was so small like the clients on there were so small everything they just didn't need those things they were too small of pension schemes to kind of want those so what I ended up doing was a lot of the same type of calculation and it came out in my summer appraisal. My appraiser at the time was like, oh my gosh, you've only done this one type of work for the last six, seven months. And I was like, yep, <laughs> I haven't had exposure to anything else. So that was definitely uh, interesting. It meant I became really good at that sort of type of calculation, but I feel like I really probably lacked in a bit of skill at the start because I hadn't had exposure to things such as pensions accounting that's dead boring but it is something that's really useful to like understand and really get to get to grips with and especially in your first year it's good to have like foundation knowledge on those areas yeah so yeah so then but luckily in my summer appraisal she was like okay yeah we got to change things up and then they really shifted the client list around so then I got put on much bigger clients where I had so much more exposure so after that things started to like settle a bit more um and yeah so it was good and like the graduates that joined just before me just like took me in looked after me really really well and I'm still really good friends with them to this day like they're some of my bestest friends I'd easily say um so yeah so that was always really fun and it was good to have such a big social circle as well when you've just first moved to London yeah yeah in terms of only doing the same calculation for the first seven months or so then obviously changes were made and um, how much control do you have over the variety of work and different things you're working on is it are you at the mercy of of the people you report to or can you start to put your hand up and and and, and ask to work on certain things as you get more experience hi guys we'll get straight back to the conversation in a second just a quick reminder that when i'm not recording podcasts i specialize in helping pensions actuaries with their career moves and i'd love to help you when the time comes to explore your options I work with people at all levels, whether you have a couple of years experience through to senior positions. My approach is different to most recruiters. I started my own business last year and work alone, which means I have zero pressure to hit targets and can just focus on giving the best possible help and advice. So whether you're thinking of making a move now or would just like to understand your options for the future, please get in touch via LinkedIn or email james at turnerperkins.com. Back to the show. 
Yes, definitely. So that was something that I kind of learned um, later on is that it's definitely, and even to this day, I think in any job, if you want to get involved in something, you really need to put your hand up and say it. And I think that goes for the corporate world in general. Like if you want it, you have to put your hand up to get involved and like do it. Um, so yes, that was interesting. And the, the difficult thing with like really small pension schemes is that they don't typically have a lot of money to spend on lots of different things that they just don't need to do. So you can ask to to get involved in things but then that doesn't necessarily mean the clients that you're already on will be doing that um, and you can't really get them to do it unless they want to do it so then it becomes a thing of like okay we'll put you on a different client where that is happening and it's it's a busy place there's always things happening so you just have to kind of make sure you're speaking to the right people who can kind of action those and whether that be your line manager your appraiser or whether that be people that you just know that are working on certain clients that you have spoken to and it sounds interesting and you just be like do you think there's any scope for me to help out on that um so yeah so that's definitely something I'd say the only caveat I would definitely give to anybody thinking about the pensions world is every pension scheme is so different to one another which is something I didn't appreciate I thought okay well once you know it once it's just like copy paste control c control v it doesn't work like that it's control c but then you control v in different formats like what sort of format are you uh, pasting the information across in so that's one thing is that every pension scheme is very very different so every pension scheme is really good to work on because you learn so much from each and every single one Okay. So something you said earlier, you studied maths for three years and it wasn't until the, the end of the third year where you found a module that, that you actually loved. And, yeah. Um, does the same apply in terms of actuarial work? Did it take you a while to figure out which parts you enjoyed the most? Yes, definitely. There are definite bits that I think a lot of pensions actuaries will tell you that they're not so keen on and other bits that they are. Um, so there's a lot of things. I think the type of work itself in terms of traditional pensions actuarial work is quite similar across the board. It's all based on annuities. It's all based on numbers. There's lots of calculations and it's just the way you're thinking about it. You're thinking about these things in different contexts and you have to think about what the objective is and how you kind of want to use that. Um, but in terms of the different areas of work I really like um, is probably a bit more project based work um, things that you know you can focus on solely a bit more and a bit more concentrated rather than the typical cyclical work that comes around once every three years because James let me tell you I struggle to remember what I had for dinner yesterday <laughs> let alone remember some calculations from three years ago and what exactly we had done from three years ago um, and how you apply that again this time round. so yeah definitely project based work is definitely way more my kind of thing um but in terms of specific calculations no I don't think so I, I quite like numbers so I'm happy with all the numbers involved fair enough um and uh just on exams you mentioned exams earlier uh what is your what is your experience been mm -hmm. getting the balance right between focusing on work and fo focusing on study um yeah how have you found it so I by no means have got the balance right at all. Um, I am still doing exams, so I'm just on my last couple now. Um, they're, they're definitely harder than I thought they would be. And like I said, during whilst I was at university, I always had a minimum of two part-time jobs alongside studying. So I just thought, I'll be fine. Like it's, it's, not it's not difficult. But what you don't, I think, appreciate when you're at university is that 
a job is really tiring. A nine to five job is really, really tiring. Even if you're just sat at the desk the entire day, it really does exhaust you. So then to have motivation to study in your evenings, in your own time, at your weekends, on your study days is, yeah, it requires a lot more motivation. You really have to try and like get yourself moving. um, And yeah, just the motivation is just so hard. And in terms of exams it is something I feel like everyone's really different though with exams so I am someone who keeps all my revision until basically six weeks before and then just goes cram 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 all my friends know I will not see you I will not reply to any messages all I do is live and breathe my books um, and that is definitely not the healthiest of methods I have tried other methods they just don't work for me because then I'm just too relaxed and then like right before the exam I'm just too chilled out like for me I need a bit of the fear I like to call it and a bit of the pressure and I think that's what I've slowly started to realize like maybe as a person I think I prefer a bit more pressure maybe this is why I enjoy project work a bit more because there's hard and fast deadlines but gets me to work a bit more um or stay focused essentially is my thing it's it's the staying focused area that I think I kind of struggle with otherwise but then there are people who are really good and like you know you typically get one study day a week essentially it works out like that if you allow for going on holidays and things like that to study for your exams and some people are really good at using those study days to really start studying you know really analyze the material that you're given um, and do all of that but that's not me. <laughs> so yeah, for some people it works really well and I've seen some people and I really admire them and I wish that was me. Yeah. It's it's just, yeah, it's not me. So trying to get the balance has been difficult. And like I said, throughout the years, I've tried different methods. I've tried the method of, okay, I'm going to use every st- study day because I get too stressed. So I want to get use every single study day and try and make sure that I'm utilizing my time really well, but earlier on. But again, that doesn't really work for me. Um, and then we had the whole thing of a little thing called covid don't know if you came across it james but it was it was just slight it was a minor bump may have noticed yeah may have noticed it's just a minor bump and um that really changed actually the way we did actuarial exams so a lot of the actuarial exams were in person um they were all basically in person other than two modules back then which were online exams but uh, obviously because of COVID, everything went online and that has really caused like a big change, I think, in the way exams are done. So they are now open book before they didn't used to be yeah. open book. I feel like the exam papers are much more difficult these days because they're open book. They really try and test your knowledge on application rather than regurgitating and giving book work answers um, and it's very very niche on the areas that they typically pick up on these days and it means everything is online so I will tell you now trying to do a maths exam on word and trying to write up lines of equations on word is probably one of the most difficult things I have ever done under time pressure it's so you don't even realize it but it's so easy to type in numbers wrong and like and it's frustrating because you're like on paper I know how to do this I can do this really easily but on word when you're just having to use like to do square root for example you type in sqrt so things like that is actually really really difficult when you're trying to do it on word yeah i can't even imagine working through because I, I mean i i studied physics at uni that, that i didn't really like the maths elements apart from the bits that you could actually visualize and yeah. find a use for in the real real world but working through a problem that that feels like a pen and paper job to me maybe it's yeah. my age but to to write out each line on words you can't yeah. 
it was really difficult. Um, and the Institute are changing it though. So they're bringing out, um, I think in September, they're planning on rolling out a new exam platform. And I think the aim of that is for the maths exams to kind of help you. So the way the actuarial exams work, the earlier ones are definitely all numerical based. There's a lot more numeracy and a lot more testing your actual actuarial skills and abilities. And then the later ones are all application. They're all word based. So for me, that works a lot better because I'm a, re- I'm a pretty fast typer. So for me to do, wordy exams online that works fine I can I can type that up on word that's not a problem the maths ones were really hard to type up on word um and that is actually one of the things I struggle with I just one of the things that before one of my maths exams was like oh do you know what it'll be fine like I don't even need to practice it practice because actually in the actual exam I was like oh no I'm typing up numbers wrong and like it takes so much more diligence than you would actually think um so yeah so that's basically it with exams I'm still plodding my way through one day one day we will get there um and it's quite interesting because actually now that I have changed companies more recently you realize when you're talking to other people that the exam journey is very different for every person so some people get through it really quickly some people it takes them years and there is nothing wrong with that. And I'm finally starting to realize and accept it and putting less pressure on myself because I used to be like, oh my God, I can't be a good actuary if I can't get through my exams. I'm not a good actuary if I'm not getting through my exams quickly. But that's really not the case. These exams are really hard. You're balancing a job at the same time. Um, and to be honest with you, no one really cares. Like once, you, once you're done with your exams, no one's asking you, oh my God, how long did it take you? Oh, you can't be a good actuary if it took you like however many years. So yeah, it's something I'm slowly learning that it's actually something that you don't need to put as much pressure on. But I think when you first join, because everybody around you is doing exams, it's much easier to really put, a strong focus on that and think okay well that is that is how I'm being judged against my peers or things like that but really it's not it's really 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 not everyone appreciates how long it takes and how difficult they are and we always say within the actuarial world that if you've passed your exams all the first time round, you are the anomaly it's more common to fail the exams and try again um yeah but failing is never nice but it's part of it what gives in, in in terms of in the work world what gives you job satisfaction um yeah funny you actually mentioned this so I think it really changes um throughout I think at the start in terms of satisfaction it was for me a lot more and this is very personal but like for me it was a lot more about are people thinking I'm doing a good job are people thinking the people that know their stuff do they look at me and think oh yeah she 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 knows her stuff it's really technical especially the pensions world is super super technical there's so many things to understand and that can be tricky so it was more like am I really understanding things am I showcasing the things that I want to show are people giving me the praise that I want um but I think my definition of job satisfaction has really changed over the years with more experience that I've got it's now for me I'm satisfied in my role if I get to do the variety of things I want to do so for example like I mentioned before I'm a talker I like people I want to be able to have that client interaction I want to be able to go into pitches I want to pitch for business I want to be able to go and do presentations like those are the things that I genuinely enjoy so those are the things that if I'm able to do Therefore, I'm satisfied in my role. So outside of the day-to-day work responsibilities, are you involved in anything else around the business on the cultural side or 
DNI or yeah so um back in my previous role actually I used to do a lot with the volunteering so where I used to work before before was a much smaller company so there was a lot of things that were done within the office so I was um I was the volunteering coordinator there so I used to help people find volunteering opportunities and go off on their volunteering opportunities and that was something I really really enjoyed and before I left I helped them partner with um a company called on hand who are incredible at what they do and essentially help employees engage in the local area wherever they are and find opportunity volunteering opportunities to help those less fortunate and so that was really really good in this new role I would say I haven't quite found I haven't quite asked because I'm trying to still work out my work life before I add in anything else Um, and still trying to work out the differences in the role that I had before to the role now and how to kind of manage my time especially that's something that I'm really trying to focus on because this role is all project-based and I haven't really worked on so many projects at different stages at any one time so I'm trying to learn how much time certain things take so before I want to be able to get that underneath my belt before I go into anything else. But I am really passionate about things like D, um, DNI, mental health, um, mentoring, networking, those kinds of things as well. So they're definitely things that I want to be able to focus my time on and whether that's in my spare time or whether that is, you know, within work and kind of helping to kind of set those things up, um, especially things like mentoring. I definitely don't know anybody else really in the actuarial world other than the people I speak to on a daily basis my colleagues my ex-colleagues um so yeah so I'm trying to be able to kind of get myself a mentor and find who else I can kind of talk to and bounce ideas off of um so yeah so that's definitely something I've been like looking into a bit more and reaching out to people on LinkedIn um, and just being like, hi, I'm looking for a mentor. This is what I do. Would you be keen in mentoring me? Um, so, yeah, so those those are the sorts of things. What's the response to that? Are you, are you making good connections through being proactive in that way? Yeah, I am you know and like I'm proud like I don't say this very often but I'm proud of myself for reaching out to people it took me a while to kind of do this um it's something I've always wanted to do but I've always thought oh my god I'm such a baby they're just gonna look at me and be like no like whatever but then I always think well if someone who was at university or just starting out or even a levels GCC whatever and came to me and was like oh, I would just like some advice on like, you know, what you do or how you came to what you're doing now, of course I'd give them time. So I kind of just applied that logic the other way around and thought, well, hopefully um, if I reach out to people, then they'll want to help. And if not, you've just messaged someone and there's literally nothing lost. Um, But yeah, I had my first mentoring session the other day with um, a professional trustee. So trustees are essentially someone who would be our client and they manage pension schemes. Um, and yes, yeah, so I thought I'd reach out to a professional trustee. So professional because that's their profession and they do that day to day just to kind of understand a bit more about the other side of the pensions world. And, you know, for them, what is a good consultant? How do I make myself stand out as being a really great consultant? What are the attributes that they're looking for? Because at the end of the day, like I mentioned, they would be our clients. Um, so, yeah, and then we spoke a lot about diversity as well, because I reached out to a specific trustee who came 
similar to me, comes from a bit more of a diverse background. Um, so that was something I really wanted to kind of touch on and, you know, speak about how things are changing or what sort of things I can be doing even at my stage to kind of really help bring diversity into the pensions world. Um, so, yeah. A few bits there I'd like to hopefully remember to come back to. Um, <laughs> I found it really interesting when you said you were asking their view on what makes a good consultant, because, yeah, I guess if you only ever look from your side, you might have an idea of what what goods looks like, but they might be looking for a completely different set of things. So did, did, any, did any of that surprise you in terms of what they, what they had to say on that? And at the end of the day, I think what makes a really good consultant is delivering on the things that you have said you're going to deliver on. And if there is a delay, communicating that. I think that's one of the things that kind of came up in our conversation. And that's something I've realized I think that applies across everything else. Like when you order something from Amazon, right? Or from anywhere, when there's a delay, well, when you've expected next day delivery and it doesn't come, I'm fuming. I'm like, why not? But whereas if they tell me, actually, there's a delay in the process, we'll get this to you on this day. You're like, okay, cool. Because you're you're not sat there waiting and expecting for this piece of information that just hasn't come through. So that's another thing is like, obviously, consultant communicating is key but it's the type of communication that I've realized that is really really key so yes you want to communicate the things of like a simple idea um, well a complex idea in a really simple manner but actually you also want to be able to communicate in terms of time scales in terms of expectations and kind of manage those things a bit more and I think in the day like in the day and age we live where everything is like at your fingertips they, they'll be scrolling their phones waiting for this email to come through. So it's not like, oh, it's after six o'clock, they're not going to see. People have their work phones on them these days. So yeah, it's just making sure that you're communicating things well so that, you know, everyone's expectations are managed. And they always, like clients always say that, you know, we're not mad. We understand that things things get delayed. We're not mad if they are. Just let us know so that we we know when to expect things. Brilliant. Um, I want to talk about mental health but I don't really have much experience I said before the call it's not an area that I'm that familiar with sort of discussing but I'd love to to get your take on it so um you posted on LinkedIn an article you wrote after your first 100 days in your in your current role which is up there and everyone can see and I'll I'll put a link in the in the notes um when this goes out I'll have a go at reading the the opening but if I mess up um, I'll I'll, I'll paste the content as well but (laughs) 2022 was probably one of the hardest years of my life so far I was burnt out and exhausted and in the spring summer my mental health was at rock bottom after experiencing numerous anxiety attacks. I had lost all confidence in every aspect of life including work and crying became my normal state of being and then you go on to say that you decided to leave your job and and go travelling for a couple of months. As I said, I'm not brilliant at breaching this this topic but I wondered if you can tell us more about your experience there. Um, so yes, yeah, so I think I really kind of struggled last year. Last year, I had worked a lot. And I think that's something across the board, whether you're a lawyer, whether you work in investment bank, finance world, you you end up working a fair amount, um, especially when there's certain client deadlines due, it can sometimes take its toll. And that is something I felt, especially after COVID, because 
And I really reflect on this. And I think back to the COVID era where we all worked from home because there was nothing else to do. I know I know that this is quite a wide sentiment, but I feel like everyone worked so much more than they ever would have because there was nothing else to do. Yes, I've got lots of annual leave, but what am I going to do? Just sit on the sofa. I can't even go outside, can't go for a walk, can't do anything. So I think everyone started to work so much more during COVID. And I want to, before I continue, I want to acknowledge that it was a, COVID was a really difficult time for everybody. And by no means am I being ungrateful at the fact that I had a job and the fact that, you know, the job got really busy during that period because I completely understand and empathize and sympathize that there are people out there who lost their jobs and it was a really difficult time and, you know, they couldn't put food on the table and things like that. But in the finance world, in the corporate world, things took a turn the other way. And um, so, yes, it definitely meant that a lot of us were working a lot. So I'd say mental health really, I didn't realize it, but I I just kept saying, oh, my gosh, I feel like there's going to be a day where I'm in hospital on a drip from exhaustion, from burnout. And I just got one thing after another, after another, after another. And I just was like. I need a break. I really, really, really need a break. So that's when I decided, you know what? I just need a break and I don't want to work. I don't want to go anywhere. I don't want to do anything. I just need a break. So I ended up leaving um, my job. And actually, I haven't ever really spoken to recruiters or my current colleagues or when I was interviewing and when people are like oh so why are you looking to leave I never really said that you know mental health was a big part of the reason because it's still such a taboo subject not everybody really understands it still um so yes it was something that I kind of wanted to leave out of those conversations because I was scared I was scared I was worried that oh if I say I'm mentally struggling then a company might be like well we don't want to hire her because what happens if she goes on sick leave for mental health or whatever for a month or whatever but I've decided I'm just not going to think about any of that anymore it's it's really is a prevalent thing um so I really want to start talking about it a bit more and yeah so it was basically a really really tough time essentially so I ended up writing the post because I quit my job I went traveling for a while I then joined this new job and I was really anxious before I joined actually to be like is the same thing going to happen here because it's a consulting role again? Is this what just happens in the consulting world in general where you just have so many deadlines and everything is based on, you know, clients that this is going to, this is going to have the impact. But that's when I realized actually it's okay if you communicate it to the client that you can't deliver to certain timescales. So yeah, so then I really, and I was really anxious before I joined, but I am very fortunate that my new role kind of has given me a new lease of confidence again and has kind of put everything back and I don't really, I haven't really experienced an anxiety attack in a while, which has been quite nice. I don't know if that was to happen again, what what I would do in this situation. I take a lot of ownership myself. There's a lot of things I could have said no to and I was scared to say no, so I didn't. And that's something like before I you know, came into this new role, I sat myself down. (laughs) And I was like, right, we're not going to have a repeat of what happened. And we're going to make sure that, you know, I look out for myself, and I'm putting myself first. Um, So yes, that was really my experience with mental health. And I know I've already said this once, so maybe I say this more than I think, but I am really proud of myself for really writing that post. Thank you. I'd written it and drafted it for a while, because 
I couldn't bring myself to post it and then I realized it was mental health awareness week and I didn't realize actually until the end of the week that the theme of the week was anxiety so it kind of worked out really really well and the amount of interactions I've had from it is insane I can't even explain and this is the reason I'm really proud of doing it because I've had so many people from all industries reach out to me and say thank you for posting it and talking about it because it's such a taboo subject and they're like oh my god I went through that too and I went through that too and there's people who don't identify as having anxiety which I was thinking about anxiety earlier and I'm probably not unique I don't know I don't know if that's the case or not but when someone says anxiety I've not had an anxiety attack but also just the word anxiety it doesn't nothing sort of comes to mind in terms of maybe growing up it wasn't spoken about I I can't pinpoint any experience I've I've had where I've gone okay this this feels like anxiety it's not to say I've never been anxious but I've probably labeled it as something mm-hmm. slightly different whether it's worry or yeah or, or, or something along those what does anxiety feel like that's a really good question. And you know what? You're not the only one there. So it was, I was listening to a podcast and the host of the podcast was talking about mental health. And they said, I've never, like, I've never experienced any of this. So it's a really alien concept. And I just thought, wow, how have you not experienced it? And then I remember a couple of years ago, I would have been in that same boat too. And I hadn't really experienced it. And you're right, everyone does feel anxious. So you can feel anxious about anything and that's very normal, but it's just basically when those things kind of heighten and it can happen out of the blue. It can happen when you're just really overthinking a situation or when you're really overworked about something. And I think that's what I'm really trying to teach myself is not to overthink because when I overthink, that's when I get in a panicky state. And I think that's it. It's just like a panic. You're just, your brain is like racing and you're constantly thinking about all these things and it's so hard to switch off. And then it just leads you into like a whirlwind of emotions and your body just doesn't know what to do. So it just has to release everything that's kind of like happening internally. And for me, it's through crying. Um, And yeah, you just end up just like crying lots. Um, But that is how basically I feel like anxiety feels. It's like, it's normally a buildup, I feel. It's normally a buildup of all these thoughts that are like worrying you or all these emotions that are worrying you and you just one on top of another after another and you spiral. But interestingly, spiraling for me has been something I've done ever since I was really little. I spiral quite often where I think about one thing and think about another, I think about another. But I think the difference there was back then, I don't know how and I don't know what I did, but I was able to kind of like rationalize it or reason with myself and kind of switch off the spiraling thoughts and think about other things instead. Whereas with this, it's like you don't have control. You just don't have control. You you can't, even if you want to switch it off, it's so hard to switch off. And it happens not even just in the working world. So I think when I was going through this specific period I'm talking about in my post, it was like I had also gone for a morning yoga session, which is not me at all, by the way. I'm not a morning person. Yoga every now and then, sure. But anyway, we were there and literally halfway through a downward dog, I was like, I can feel this overwhelming amount of anxiety just coming my way. And I just got up and left because I needed to because I couldn't stop crying and I just like took myself away and then 
we went out for brunch and I just couldn't and I was trying and I hadn't spoken to anyone about it at this stage I hadn't told anyone that this is what was going on and it's another thing I write in my introductory post is the way I am the way I've kind of been brought up is I've always had a brave face on what happens on the outside is very different to what's going on in the inside I'm definitely a very private person so what you know about me is basically what I choose to tell you about me. There's nothing else. I'm very good at making sure what I showcase is what I want to showcase. So with my friends, it was really hard because they were, yeah, it was interesting because with my friends, it was like, they didn't realize what was going on. They could just see me just like have a wobbly lip and they were just looking at me like, what's going on here? And then there, it just comes a point with anxiety where you just, like I said, it's out of your control and it all just came out and I just couldn't stop crying and crying. And I just got on a bus and went home and it was funny. It was like, I walked through the doors of the flat and I just immediately felt relief and comfort and it was all fine. And then I was like happy. I was dancing around. I was like back to my normal self. So I think it's really hard to explain or define what anxiety is because it's different for everybody as well. So when when you have one of these waves at the time that you sort of feel it coming and you've got to remove yourself from the situation, it's a it's just a feeling, I, as opposed to you know the example you gave. It's COVID. You wake up, have breakfast. There's nothing to do other than work. So I can see how loads of people must easily have just filled mm-hmm. their entire days and evenings with work. And so you've got the sort of list of things that's stacking up that you've got to deal with that are sort of tasks I guess one on top of the other but but the actual anxiety attack those things aren't coming to mind necessarily it's just sort of a a wave of emotion for want of a better way of putting it is that is that right yeah exactly that it is it is all of that and I think I haven't really looked into it that much scientifically but I guess anxiety is part of like your hormones so it's just essentially these these hormones that are just on another level and they just come in and I don't really know and I think, it, I guess this is the million dollar question is like what really, really hits people's anxiety is very different for each and every person. It's not easy to talk about it at all and not everyone will want to talk about it. And it's really hard to talk about something where you don't understand. And I guess it's it's hard to understand because it's not tangible. It's not something we've seen. It's you, it's, you can't fathom it because it's not, it's not a piece of paper. It's not something you can look through. It's, so it is a hard topic to talk about and I don't think there's anything wrong with it but kudos to you for even bringing it up and wanting to kind of you know challenge yourself to talk about it because um, yeah I think definitely people should. I think, I think there's there's definitely you know so much more awareness of it I think um, but it's one of those things where if, if you haven't necessarily experienced it yourself or, or maybe you have mm-hmm. but you just you called it something different at the time then you're you're maybe worried about saying the wrong thing or going into it the wrong way a bit like dni i felt a little bit more confident talking about certain things within dni just because i have a diverse background as well but even then there are lots of things i haven't experienced and and, yeah. and there is a bit of um yeah you're just a bit bit you don't want to upset people you don't want to sort of charge in um but maybe the first point is is listening to other people talk about it and then then you can learn a bit more and and gain a bit more confidence but no thank you so much for 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 talking about it and and giving me a bit of insight um so the other side of the same post is more about your experience moving into a team which specializes in in pensions risk transfer i think 
some people listening to this will be pensions actuaries, but they don't necessarily specialise in that area. There might be some people listening who are thinking of becoming an actuary. So I wondered if for, for both of those groups, if you can give a, a, a bit of a feel for what, what it involves, what your sort of day-to-day work looks like now that you're in your new new role. Yes, definitely. So kind of starting off with the basics, pension risk transfer is when a pension scheme is just trying to get rid of all of its liabilities or its responsibilities to pay the pensions it's promised. So it's a DB pension area for sure. Um, And essentially what we do as pension risk transfer consultants is kind of act as like a middleman. So a pension scheme will come to us and be like, look, we want to get rid of everything. And one of the options that we provide is to go to an insurance company um, to be able to get to sell your pension scheme to an insurance company. And what we'll then do is help the, we'll help the pension scheme get the scheme as ready as it can to be able to go to insurance companies and get the best price possible. So the way pensions work in general, or just actuarial work, it's really based on assumptions. There's so many assumptions you have to make in day-to-day work. And the way you get a cheaper price from an insurance company is by trying to help them make less prudent assumptions. So because an insurance company is always going to want to make a profit, they will assume, for example, we might assume that a person might live to say, these numbers are, I'm plucking from thin air, by the way, but we might assume that someone lives until 80, but really maybe government statistics show that people live until like 75, but we're allowing for an extra five years worth of potential paying that person. So making sure the scheme has enough money for those extra five years to be able to pay a person. But then what an insurance company will assume is, oh, well, we're going to assume everybody lives to 100 or 110 years or whatever so then they're basically banking on the fact that well if a person passes away before that age then they the money that they would have saved for that person goes back into their pocket so what we try and do to kind of help minimize that as much as possible is get the pension scheme as ready as they can um, to be able to go to the insurance company so that they don't have to make such crazy assumptions um And there's lots of different things with that. And it's a really fun job because you kind of see two sides. It's all project based. So it's definitely way more fast paced than it was with traditional pensions actuarial work. It's something that I mentioned earlier is that that's one thing I'm learning in this new role is how to manage projects when they all are at different stages and they all require different things happening. Um, it's interesting because you don't need to know the pension scheme as well or as in-depth as you did as a technical pensions actuary. Um, then you really need to know the scheme inside out. So it's quite that bit I enjoy a bit more because I was never very good when a partner used to ring me up and ask me about pension increases on a specific pension scheme. I can never remember these things off the top of my head. So I'd always be like, ah, give me a second, I need to look this up. Um, but here it's okay to look it up a bit more because you know that you're there for a short period. And I say a short period, but actually it's a prolonged period, but it's, well, yes, it is a short period, but it's an intense period. So you're constantly there. You're having calls with people who manage the pension scheme fortnightly, every week. Then equally, you're kind of talking to insurance companies, kind of letting them know that you have these sorts of things coming up that they might be interested in and whatnot. 
So yeah, it's a definitely a much more varied type of role um, for sure. And pension risk transfer isn't purely this. This area that I'm talking about is buy-ins and buy-outs. Um, but there's so much more to pension uh, like pension risk transfer. You can you don't have to go to an insurance company. There's many other options. But the market as it is right now is crazy busy and basically the way insurance companies also price is based on market conditions and the way market conditions are it just means that at the moment their prices are a little bit cheaper than they usually are um by little i mean quite a lot cheaper than they usually are actually so that's why everyone it's a really busy area so that's basically what i've been focusing on the last well five months now actually um since starting this new role is this area of buy-ins and buyouts in terms of the role itself it is very different i'd say other than the project side of stuff there's a lot more client interaction which is why i'm really really enjoying it i get to go into so many more client meetings uh, although I mentioned earlier that I like the numbers side, it's definitely less technical. You're not really doing a lot of spreadsheet works and a lot of calculating. It's a lot more advice based. I feel like I'm doing a lot more of the consulting side rather than the data analysis side of things um, and a lot of project management. So that's essentially my role in most of these as I am still relatively junior on the teams. So I do a lot of the project management. So making sure all the different working parties are kind of, you know, doing what they say that they would do, keeping lots of project management charts up to date, um, chasing people. Um, I'm not the scariest of people. So that can be quite difficult because you just call them. You're like, okay, yeah, sure, no problem. <laughs> and I'm like, no, I need to be more stern. I need to get them to do what they say or, you know, um, and kind of reminding people of the thing I said earlier of just let me know if you're going to be late that's fine let me know because the client is waiting on us so then I got to let the client know and things so yeah so the work is definitely a lot more varied and one of the things I mentioned before is I really want to get involved in like pitching so I've been able to do that I've already done three pitches and I've only been there for five months I've got another pitch coming up so it's all these different things but again it kind of goes back to what we had mentioned before is I've only got to be able to do all these things because they're the things I enjoy so I've put my hand up for them and I've kind of shouted about how much I want to do it but equally you can be a pension risk transfer consultant and not do any of that if you don't want to um, and you can just do all the advice stuff you don't have to seek clients if you don't want to um, so yes yeah, so there's, there's a wide variety of things that you can do um, but yes it's much more up my street I think yeah I, I know we're, we're you know we're recording people will listen to this so there might be a you want to project your, your 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 best self but it feels like you genuinely enjoy what you're doing that sort of comes through obviously we're on a video I can see you as you're speaking and <laughs> it feels like you found something that you can actually you know enjoy and uh, and get the most yeah. out of yeah definitely and um part of that is 100% the team that I've been, that I've joined there's most consultancies will also have a team that specializes in risk transfer slash risk settlement, de-risking, whatever you want to call it. It's got various names to it. But I'm really fortunate with my team as well. My team is everyone is really supportive. And I know in my first pitch that I did, I had a partner turn around to me and was like, so what do you think about this, Taz? And I was like, oh, I don't know. I've never been asked for my opinion. This is like a whole different world. So it's quite nice to be able to really feel like, you know, you're getting involved in things and the team is 
is a relatively small team. So it's quite, I mean, it's the biggest pension risk transfer team there is, but within the London office, I feel like it's quite small. So it's quite nice to have people to kind of bounce ideas off and get involved. And they're so happy for you to do whatever you want. If you've got an idea, they're like, yeah, we like the sound of that, run with it. Um, So there's a lot of ownership and I quite like not being... Uh, micromanaged I'm an adult I know how to manage myself very well and my high functioning anxiety will tell you that I don't miss deadlines I'm like very on it I'm like you know all of these sorts of qualities that high functioning anxiety provides you with work really well Um, but the thing is I don't get micromanaged so I really enjoy the fact that you know I'm treated like an adult I'm able to do the things that I want to do and everyone just kind of trusts me to kind of get on with it Um, but equally everyone's really supportive so every time I've had a question I just ring someone up and I'm like hi can you explain this to me please and they will sit down and have like a proper conversation and explain all the different things it's it's funny because if if people if anybody just listened to that bit and they had to guess where you worked I think a lot of people would guess that you work for a smaller company than you do given the direct you know partners asking you questions and working with a a small group of people but you don't you work for one of the biggest ones out there well Taz I'm going to ask final three questions if I may so I think the plan is to ask the same questions to um to everyone at the end so you may have heard uh, heard them before but um Question number one is, what advice would you give to someone just starting out their actuarial career in pensions today? I think after kind of exploring the market a bit more when I was looking to change jobs, I initially first looked at insurance companies and I really wanted to kind of move to an insurance company I knew like binds and buyouts that was the world I wanted to be in but I kind of didn't want to do the consulting side and then I really enjoyed the people side of things and the talking side of everything and you don't you wouldn't really necessarily get that in a even in a front office insurance company sort of role so that was something I would always say to kind of keep in mind is like what do you enjoy what sort of things are you looking for because if it's like me and you're into consulting then it might be that pensions is what you end up going into but if you're really good at modeling and the technical stuff and you like you know coding and you're really good at R or C sharp or anything like that then definitely look into roles maybe in GI or other insurance areas that you could then focus yourself in on on those sorts of things excellent and uh, this this is the next question is the big one i think so how do you see the role of the uk pensions actually evolving over time and what role do people at your level have to playing that do you think um so there's two answers for this question so my first answer in a more general way is technology and AI. As we have seen, ChatGPT is huge. And just in general, artificial intelligence is just coming at a different speed than I think anyone sort of anticipated. And technology is just coming in and taking over so much. So I'm really intrigued to see what happens with the technology and AI and how we can utilize that within the pensions industry, especially to be able to kind of give really good service to clients and what it's really going to mean for the pensions world. I'm not entirely sure myself and I don't really know how people are going to use AI to kind of accelerate the industry. but. I'm intrigued. I'm really, really intrigued to kind of like sit back and watch the space and hope that it doesn't take over my job. (laughs) (laughs) Um, 
And then the other side of my answer is diversity. And I think that's something that is where I would say my I come in, people of my sort of level come in. Um, someone said I'm the holy trinity the other day because I'm young, I'm a female and I come from an ethnic minority background. So that is probably ticking a lot of the boxes in terms of the diversity scale. But I really want to be able to encourage other people from diverse backgrounds to come in and Diversity to me isn't just about your race, your religion, your gender, but for me, it's more also about where you've kind of grown up and how you've grown up. I think, especially in the finance sort of world, a lot of people come from, have been privately educated. I am a state school girl all my way through, and there's differences in that. There's things that you hear and you're like, well, we didn't have that. I've never played lacrosse in my life. I've We didn't play water polo or things like that. Yeah. And there's these things that you hear, and it's just, and it makes you sit there and be like, oh my God, I'm not like anybody around me. So I really want the pensions world, especially, to kind of increase in that diversity. Brilliant. And then my final question is, what are you looking forward to in the next 12 months? And that can be work related, it can be personal, or you can pick one of each. Oh, okay. Well, personally, traveling, for sure. I've just booked onto a trip for uh, to South Africa next year. So I'm super excited already for that. And I just need another holiday constantly to keep me going. I think especially after my little break, um, it's just put this travel bug in me that just makes me want to be away and like experience the world a lot more. And um, in terms of work, though, I'm really excited to actually really see myself in this pensions risk transfer role I really feel like I keep saying it but I'm really fortunate the team are super supportive I feel like you know they really I feel supported by them and I feel like they want me to do really well so I feel like I've got the right sort of support system around me to kind of propel myself into whatever it may be I don't know what that will be I don't know what areas I'll be really good at or what areas I'll really really enjoy or what I won't um But that is something I'm excited to kind of figure out and see how I am as a pension risk transfer consultant, because before I was like, I'm not sure being an actuary is like my kind of thing, like I'll finish my exams and maybe I'll reassess my actual career choice. And, you know, I could be an actuary, but is this what I really want to do for life? But actually this role has made me be like, oh no, I could definitely see myself doing this for a lot longer. I could definitely see myself maybe even doing this to life if the industry allows me to and AI and technology allows me to. So yeah, so I'm intrigued and excited to see, you know, how much more I can get involved in, um, any other pitches I can win um, and what sort of things I can really like change in the team as well. Well, thank you so much. Taz, there may well be people listening who would love to get in touch with you if, if people have enjoyed hearing anything of what you've been talking about, whether it's the mental health side, mentoring. Um, are you happy for people to get in touch with you? And if so, what's the best way for them to do that? Absolutely. Um, 100% more than happy to chat to anyone about anything, really. Um, but LinkedIn is probably the easiest way. I don't really have many other socials anymore. I kind of got rid of that during my mental health spell and I haven't looked back. So would also recommend getting rid of all social media. It does wonders. Um, so yeah, LinkedIn is literally the only thing I have these days. Um, so yeah, <laughs> so that's a g- good place to reach. No, nothing, honestly. And it's so bad. All my friends are like, oh my God, I can't even... Ex- 
they'll send me something and they're like you're not even gonna get it because it it's an Instagram thing or it's a TikTok thing and I'm like okay cool it's it's fine though my mental health is better so I'm much happier not knowing what a TikTok trend is um but yeah LinkedIn is definitely by far the best place to thank you well I'll, I'll put a link to your where they can find you on LinkedIn in the notes below uh well all that remains to to say is thank you so much for for sharing your story with um with me and with the listeners it's been an absolute pleasure and um can't wait to see what you do next no thank you so much James thanks for having me on and like I said please do reach out if you ever want to chat about mental health or you know pension risk transfer uh, whatever it may be but yeah thank you so 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 much I've really enjoyed it thanks for listening to this episode of actuarial people please don't forget to subscribe and consider leaving a review If you have any questions or feedback or any suggestions for future guests, please contact me on info at actuarialpeople.com. This podcast is sponsored by my recruitment company, Turner Perkins, and you can contact me there at james.turner at turnerperkins.com. Hope to see you again.